Uh, so welcome everybody. Good morning. Uh, whether you're you're here in the building or or outside in the tent or or joining us on the live stream at home, um, thank you so much for for being here with us. My name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here, and you know and we're in this uh, this short series for a, a couple weeks, diving into uh, the, the love of God uh, to to see more deeply uh, this great love that He has for us. So do you know the the, the little kid's song, Jesus Loves Me. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I, you know, uh, I, I was trying to remember, a couple, a year or two ago, my, my son Caleb, who's now in first grade, but when he was like in preschool or kindergarten, one of those years, they, they, they did that, his whole class did it as a, uh, you know, as, as a little presentation. And there's nothing more adorable than like a four-year-old being like, Jesus love me. This, it, it, yeah, <laughs> super adorable, cute little children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But let's think about those words. Jesus loves me. Because here, I think, though that is one of the simplest and most well-known of little kids' songs, I don't think that there, are, that there is a more profound sentence that could possibly be spoken than those three simple words, Jesus loves me. Because if, if we really understand who, who Jesus is, who, who this, this one that we're talking about is, what his love means, what his love cost, and, and who I am, could anything more amazing be said than Jesus loves me? But I fear, as I think of my own life, I think of, think of, of us, I think that many of us are not living in the good and the glory of those simple words. Jesus loves me. Because if I asked you, okay, so Jesus loves me, this I know, so like, okay, how, what, how do you know? Like, do you know that Jesus loves you? I, I suspect that, that for many of us, knowing that Jesus loves me is not the like, Jesus loves me, this I know in my bones, I feel, I know it. I, I think for, for many of us, for me, for me, for a lot of us, a lot of the time, Jesus loves me, this I know, is sort of an intellectual exercise. It's kind of like a math equation that we do. Here, here's what I mean. We say, well, I know God loves the world. You know, John three sixteen, God so loves the world. And okay, well, I'm, I'm part of the world, so I guess that means Jesus loves me. And it's you know, sort of a, a math equation, a little logical syllogism. God loves the world, so God loves everybody, right? And I'm, I'm part of everybody, so I guess that means that Jesus must, I guess he must love me. And that's our experience of the love of God. But if, if that is your conception of the love of God, well, he loves everybody, I'm part of everybody, he loves me. That's not enough. 
And, and I don't mean it's not enough as a criticism. I mean, how could I, how could I sleep at night if that's all I know of God's love? How, how, how in the world could I, how can you lay your head down with confidence, with confidence that you'll wake up a believer tomorrow? Like, like how, how can you have any assurance that you're not just going to like shipwreck your faith and go to hell? Because if, if all that I know of God's love is just God loves the world, well, millions of people go to hell loved by God like that in the just general, generic John 3.16 kind of love. That, that is not enough assurance for me. So when you're at the end of your rope, when you're weak, if you've ever felt like you are just clinging to the ledge of God's grace with like feeble, slipping fingers, where's the assurance if that's all that God's love is? Just a kind of general love that People are slipping through the cracks of that love all the time. What, like, that's not enough for me. Where's my strength? Like, what, what would you feed on? What would you cling to if that's the only kind of love that God has for you? Don't get me wrong. John 3.16 is precious. But it's not enough. And there's, there's got to be more to God's love than that. And I, 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 I'm jealous this morning for you to know more of God's love than that. And I believe that God himself is jealous for us to know more of his love than that. Because if you're a believer, if, you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're in Christ, there is so much more for you than that general John 3.16, love for the world. Here's the big big idea of the message, but I want us to see kind of again and again and again in God's word is is this, this idea that God has a deep and everlasting love for his people that is distinct from his general love for the world. God does love the world, and we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit because we should stand and wonder at that, but we've got to see more, that God has a deep and everlasting, distinct love for his people, and he wants us to know that love, to, to say, Jesus loves me, and I know that. I know that distinct, personal, deep, everlasting love for me, his child. There's so much more to God's love if you are in Christ. And where I want to start is I want to go to, uh, to, to see how the Apostle Paul opens his, his letter to the Romans. Because, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of these letters to, to churches. And, you know, just like if you write a letter, you say, you know, dear so-and-so. Well, Paul addressed his letters. You know, like we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while. And he says, to the church of God in Corinth. Well, listen to how Paul addresses Romans. Dear so-and-so. Here's what he says. Romans 1, verse 7. 
He says this. This is who he's writing to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. So who is he writing to? He, he He says, here's who I'm writing to. Everybody in Rome who's loved by God and called to be saints. So, so what, is, what does that mean? Because, I mean, in, in one sense, right, we know God loves everybody, right? So is, 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 this, is he writing to everybody in Rome? Is this like one of those mass mailers that's going to go into the, the letter of Romans is going to go in everybody's mailbox in the city of Rome because he's writing to everybody because everybody's loved by God? Well, no, no, because he says to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. He, he's not writing to everybody in Rome. He's calling, he's writing to God's loved ones. Who, who's that? Who, who are in the, this whole big bustling city of Rome, a million people? Who are God's loved ones, the called to be saints ones? Who is he writing to? And the answer is, He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church in Rome. He is writing, and out of this million people, all of whom are loved in the John 3.16, God so loved everybody in Rome, and yet Paul says, I'm writing to God's beloved. I'm writing to the loved ones, the called ones. Yes, God loves the world, But when Paul says, I'm writing to God's loved ones, he means there is a distinct and deeper love at work here. A love that God has for his people. This is is not John 3.16 love. This is family love. This is covenant love, married love, everlasting love. This is, this is the I am yours, God says, and you are mine. That, that's the kind of love that he's talking about. Loved like that. And you know, sometimes I, I think you know, talking about God's covenant love for his people, really, it, this is the deep end of the pool. That's why we're calling this series The Deep End. And yet, I, I do think that we might sometimes overthink this uh, in our attempt to try to get all of our theological squares right. And okay, like, how, how do all these pieces fit together? Here's just maybe a simple way to, to think about this. I, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love everybody, right? You know, God says, love your neighbor, love your enemies, that basically covers it. I'm supposed to love everybody. <laughs> Don't do a good job of it, but okay. I'm supposed to love everybody, but is there not in that general love for everybody a distinct love? Aren't I supposed to love my kids differently, more in a distinct way than your kids? I love lots of your kids. Your kids are great. <laughs> but I... I'm not their dad. Caleb and Zoe, I'm their dad. I have a distinct relationship with them. And there are lots of people that I love. There are lots of people I would take a bullet for, but I only have one wife. One wife that I have pledged myself to, I've made vows to. And so this is in God's overflowing love and his heart for the world. 
God has a family. Jesus has a bride. And that's the love that I want us to dive into today. That that's the love that God wants us to know more of. Because if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are loved by the God of the universe with a distinct, deep, personal, everlasting love. You, individually, by name. Jesus loves you. Not just in a general math equation of he loves everybody, so he must love me, but you are loved in Christ like a father loves his child, like a husband loves his wife. You are, you are loved and delighted in and held more securely than you could possibly imagine. This is God's love for his people. So this is what we're going to dive into today. But before we do that, I do want us to see, I'm going to take a little survey to see, I want us to see God's love for the world. I want us to look at that John 3.16 love because I don't mean in what I say about God's distinct love to at all diminish God's love for the world. Don't hear anything I say today as obscuring one drop of what the Bible says about God's love for the world. Because God has an amazing, astounding love for the entire world. His heart overflows and beats with love for every single person on planet Earth. We should be amazed at God's love for the world. So I want us to look kind of quickly at that so that we can be amazed at God's love for the world. And then by his grace, be 10,000 times more amazed at his love for his people. So, so how does God love the world? What, what does that look like? And first, you know, of course, John 3.16, right? That famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God, God's love for the world, it means that the door of salvation is wide open. And the invitation is available to everyone. There, there is no one excluded from this invitation and this open door of saying, uh, so you can go to any person. You can go to any person on planet Earth. You can walk over to your neighbor's house. You can go to your coworker, your friend. You can become a missionary and go to a closed country, an unreached people group. You can go into the deepest, darkest jungle. You can find any person on planet Earth and tell them, God made you, God loves you, and he sent his son so that if you put your faith in him, you would have eternal life. You can say that to every single person on planet Earth. Like That, that is amazing. There is no one excluded from that. Every single person you have ever met, God loves them. And you can walk up to them and invite them into salvation. And the invitation is true. And even more than that, we can see not only is God's heart, invitation of salvation wide open, but, but God's heart, his, his inclination towards every single person in the world is inclined 
towards patience, inclined towards mercy. Listen to what he says through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, 23, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn and live? In other words, God says, even though so many go to hell loved like John 3.16, because, because, of course, the invitation is there, the open door is there, the gift is there, and we run away. We, we return the invitation. We close the door. We don't want the gift. And yet God's heart is inclined towards patience, inclined towards mercy. Everyone who goes to hell goes there leaping over the love of God. And the, just the amazing and sobering thing he says here in Ezekiel is that even, even to those who face God's judgment and hell, God doesn't take any pleasure in that. God takes no pleasure in in judgment. God doesn't delight in punishment. Like, oh, he, he's holy. He's just. He says in Exodus, by no means will I leave the guilty unpunished. But he doesn't delight in that. Like, that's not what thrills his heart. What thrills God's heart is mercy. And it, it, it strikes me here that in, in what I think is perhaps our too shallow understanding of the love of God, that we might even get this wrong. Do any of you feel like that God is out to get you? Is your perception of God that he, you know, he's got a hair trigger temper? You know, he's in a bad mood at you. That God is, he's just, he's just waiting to smite some sinners, and that's what God does. If that's how you view God, not only is your understanding of even the John 3.16 love too shallow, but can I, can I say to you with, with gentleness, but also with, with some authority here based on what God says, cast down such a blasphemous and idolatrous view of God. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, And even though he won't leave the guilty unpunished, he doesn't afflict from his heart, he says in Jeremiah. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No, he loves even the wicked. That's the God of the Bible. And that love, we can see one one more verse here. Not only is that love for the world expressed in in God's heart, his inclination and the offer of salvation, but we see that love on display day in, day out. Listen to how Jesus, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, he says to us, he says, love your enemies. That's the command for us. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you can be a you know, chip off the old block like your Father in heaven. Because, for, God makes his Son rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, like, see Jesus' logic here. He says, he, he says to us, he says, love your enemies because God loves his enemies the proof of which is that the sun came up this morning. Every sunrise is a testament to God's heart of patience towards the world. It says, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would reach eternal life. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, so the sun's coming up this morning. There's another day of mercy for the world. Every morning... Every warm sun, every spring rain shower, the flowers bloom for the ungodly and the rebels of the world. And God provides and God cares and God sustains. And every breath and every day is God loving his enemies, extending life, extending provision, extending grace and patience. Romans 2 says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The sun comes up every morning so that there can be new opportunities for God's kindness to draw us to that open door where Jesus is. He is indiscriminately kind. And so the sun rose this morning on a God-hating, God-ignoring world. And that's love, Jesus said. That's God loving his enemies. And that is extraordinary love. Every minute of every day sustained by God's love for his enemies. Extraordinary love for the world. And that extraordinary love for the world is a dim candle next to the supernova of God's love for his people. And that's where we're going to go now. If this is the extraordinary love that God has for the world, there is more, child of God. God has a family. Jesus has a bride. There is more than that love. And so I want us to to, to take us through to see this relationship of love that God has for his people and just kind of scripture after scripture. The first thing I want us to see is, is God's father love, his love as a father and this is the, the verse that, that Don kicked off the series with two weeks ago, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, given to us freely, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And here, uh, again, is where I, I think in our in our trying to balance theological categories and say God loves everyone, that we can, we can fall into an error e- even here in understanding what, what that means, the, the love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Because he, here's the thing. The Father love of God 
is not a universal love. It's not the John 3.16 love. I mean, there, there is a sense, it's true, in which, in which God is father and creator, and Paul in Acts 17 you know, says you know, that we are his offspring. There, there is a, a general sense like that of the fatherhood of God, but when the New Testament talks about God the Father, the Father's love, and we as children of God, that is not the universal created John 3.16 kind of love. Because... Not everyone is a child of God. And I said that that's that's another one of those one of those things that doesn't fly very well in our in our world to, to say something like that. And again, everyone's made by God and loved by God. Not everyone is a child of God. Look, look at look at John chapter one. Super clear here. It says to all who received him, Jesus, to all who received Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. There is a a privilege here to those who believe in his name. Here is the privilege, the right, the access. You are children of God. God is your father. You're now in the family. So this isn't just the general creation love God's father love is, this is adoption love. This is redeeming love. This is Ephesians 1 saying that in love he predestined us, his people, for adoption through Jesus Christ. This is Galatians 4. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son born under the law to redeem those, to buy those back under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Sons and daughters of the king brought into, into God's family. This love, when, so when John says, look at this love that the father has given us, that we're chil- his children now, He means, he doesn't just mean God made you so you're part of his family. He means God sent his son to buy you back. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. All of your sins have been removed and you have been adopted into this family. Once an orphan and rebel, now alive in God's family forever. The picture I think Don kind of painted for us two weeks ago of, of you know, us, you know, I'm, a, I'm a beggar and a nobody. In fact, I'm a rebel and a sinner, and I'm sitting in the dirt on the side of the road. I'm wallowing in my sin, my shame, my muck, and the king rides by and looks at me there's nothing special about me. He doesn't see underneath the grime to, 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 some, to some attractive diamond in the rough underneath. No, he, he looks at my rags and my filth. He says, you're coming home with me. And he brings you in and cleans you and clothes you and seats you at his table with a crown of glory on your head. 
son or daughter of the king. Once a rebel, now royalty. This is love. Look at this kind of love the Father has given us. And this Father love goes further than just finding us in our filth, brushing us off and giving us a seat at the table. I, I like how John Piper says it. He says, he says, adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. What he means is there is good news. That you have not just been adopted child of God into God's family, you have been welcomed into his embrace. And you are loved now with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3, what God speaks over his people, his family. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You see, God, God will never lose custody of his kids. We can, we can rest assured in that. And when we run and when we stumble and when we fall and when we go back outside those palace walls and fall right back in the muck that he dragged us out from, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And you're still mine. I thought of a, a, an example of, of this that just kind of landed on me just, just the other day. Um, I think it was thur Thursday. Uh, our daughter Zoe, who's, who's three, uh, she, she has been in a mood recently. <laughs> she, she's been kind of a pill. Uh, uh, and, you know, so she, she, she's been, she's had this attitude. She's been throwing temper tantrums. And so, like, Thursday was, was apparently it was a rough day. I was gone a lot of the day. And, you know, so she'd, like, full out, like, on the floor, you know, temper tantrum, talking back to Sarah. It was, it, it was just a bad day. Um, and she finally went, you know, finally, you know, put the kids to bed. Uh, and she had this... She had this boo-boo on her, on her foot from, from wearing the blister, from wearing her little princess shoes. Uh, and it was bothering her, but she, she went to sleep. And, I, and later that evening, Sarah and I are, you know, we're, we're sitting out on the couch watching, watching TV, and Zoe in her room starts crying. And so, you know, Sarah goes in there. And, and a couple minutes later, Sarah comes out holding Zoe, because, you know, Zoe's boo-boo was hurting, and... Just kind of sat there for the rest of the evening. Sarah just cuddling with Zoe, and you know, if you you've had little kids, you know, there's you know, it's the little kid just kind of curled up in her arms. And this is parent love. This is Zoe who had temper tantrums and throwing fits and talking back, and no, I don't want to do that, mommy. And now held. And th this is God's love for you. That's what God's love looks like. 
when you have thrown your temper tantrum and you have run away and you have made a mess, then you are held. And he says to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I don't lose custody of my kids. Do you know yourself loved like that? Held like that? This is God's father love, everlasting love. And God's father love is also, if there could possibly be more than that, there's more because his father love is an inheritance love as well. Romans 8 says that the, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Makes sense, right? Children of the king are now royalty. And you, rebel have been raised to reign with him forever. And you now, as a child of God, have a destiny beyond your wildest dreams. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him and those whom God loves as a father. And so I, I, I recognize in talking about God's fatherly love that you, you might have had an earthly father who has let you down. And so God's father love can be hard to connect to, whether it's because you, you've been let down by an earthly father or maybe you're the parent and you feel all the ways that you've let your kids down. Here's what you need to know. God is a better dad. God is a better dad. And, and this father love, don't, don't for a minute make the mistake of, of measuring God's father love by your father's love. Because that gets it backwards. Because it's not like, it's not like our horizontal parent-child relationship is the real thing, and then God's love is the metaphor of that. It's the other way around. The, the closest, most beautiful parent-child relationship, that's the metaphor. God's love is the real thing. And just like any metaphor, a metaphor is just a small, shallow, two-dimensional picture of the real thing scratching the surface in a small way of the real thing. And so don't, don't for a minute think that, that measure God's love for you by the love that you've experienced. Far, far, op- far different, the love that we long for deep down, that, that is a little candle pointing us in the dark towards this great love that God has for his children, that he doesn't fail you know, Ephesians, Ephesians 3 says, Paul says this interesting thing. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, but what Paul means there is 
Every human relationship is downstream from this relationship. Every human relationship is an echo and reflection of this great reality of God's love for his people. Every relationship. And you can take and you can turn the love of God and see the different facets. This father love is one facet but let's keep going. Let's keep turning this jewel because we are adopted by God the Father. The reason we're adopted by God the Father is because we are united to Christ his Son like bride and groom. And so as we go deeper into this love, what we find is that we haven't just been adopted into this triune family. Remember, as Don, Don laid out the first week, that, that the, the love of God, the Father and Son, reaching out in the Holy Spirit to bring us into this relationship, to bring us into this triune family. Well, the thing is, we haven't just been adopted into this triune family. We're married into this family now. With an everlasting covenant vowed love. Look at what, it, what Paul says in, in Ephesians 5. You know, he's, he's describing the marriage, the, the, the metaphor, and he can't help but go from the metaphor to jump towards the, the reality. And it's amazing what he says in, in Ephesians 5, verse 31, as, as he transitions from talking about husbands and wives, and he says, but get this, he says, he quotes Genesis, and the kind of the... the establishment of the institution of marriage. And he says, um, you know, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he drops this bomb on us. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is just the metaphor. This is the reality The, the institution of marriage, well, like, are, are there, there are a few things more foundational to human life and human civilization than the institution of marriage. And Paul sort of breezily says that whole marriage thing, that's just a metaphor. Let me tell you what this is really a picture of. Christ and his church. And, and he says this, if you back up and look in, look in verse 29, as he, he makes this transition, he's, he says this thing that, that I think for years I just kind of passed over. I didn't pay attention. And he describes this love. He says, you know, husbands should, you know, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Talking about the, the marriage metaphor. He's like, you know, if you're, you're united together, you're one flesh, you know, you're loving your wife, is loving yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Did you hear that? Cherishes, just like Jesus and his bride. Cherish. That word means 
to hold dear, to feel and show affection for, to protect and care lovingly. The Greek word literally means to hold in a warm embrace. And he says, that's what Jesus feels about you. That's how Jesus loves the church, cherishes. Do you know that Jesus loves you like that? Like, can, can you dare to believe that? That he feels and shows affection for you. That he holds you in a warm embrace. That he delights in you. Like, could, could that possibly be true? For too long, too many of us, I think, have been surviving on just the thin gruel of God's general love for the world. And we miss this. We miss this like a wife sitting at home trying to figure out if her husband loves her and doing that math equation in her head. Well, okay, my, my husband's a Christian, so he has to love everybody, and I'm everybody, so I guess my husband loves me. Oh, beloved of God, know yourself loved like this, that Jesus cherishes you. I, I think some of us need to just sit with that for a minute and let that truth sink into our souls like, like water into dry ground because we don't really believe that. We're sure deep down that like, he's mad at me. He, he's, he disapproves of me. He just puts up with me. Okay, maybe God loves me, but I, you know, probably doesn't like me. Sam Alberry, pa- pastor in, in the, the UK, he writes this. He says, if you want to grasp how committed Jesus is to the church, here's your answer. He doesn't just create it and let it be. He marries it. Church is not his hobby. It is his marriage. As the old hymn says, that the church is one foundation. One of my favorite hymns. The church is one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his, his new creation by water and the word. And then this line... From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. You are not a disappointment to God. Hear that. Child of the Father, beloved of Jesus, you are not a disappointment to God. God does not regret his purchase. 
Jesus isn't sorry he married you. He doesn't just put up with you. Jesus cherishes you. Oh, that that truth would sink in. That we would feel in our dry bones. Jesus loves me. This I know. And there's more. There's more. Because this cherished love is a forever love and a vowed love. He says, he says through the prophet Hosea, he says, God says, speaks over his people, speaks over you. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. That's that, that old-fashioned word, betroth. That means like engage. That means propose. That's down on one knee with the diamond. That's I am yours and you are mine and I will never, ever leave you. I vow to you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. I will betroth you to myself in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is, this is the vow that Jesus has made to you. If you're married, you know, on your wedding day, you, you, know, you, you took a vow, right? You stood up there, and you know, sometimes you write your own vows. Sometimes you do the traditional vows, but that vow of making some promises to your spouse, think about that vow that maybe you made on your wedding day, that you know, to have and to hold for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love, to cherish, till death do us part. And you pledged that to your spouse in front of God and witnesses. You said, I, I will love you like that. You know, the, th- the thing is, all of us are pretty rotten spouses, and we all have failed at that vow, right? Some of us have, have failed in ways that have strained that vow, and some of us have failed in ways that have shattered that vow. The, because the, the reality is, in a, in a fallen world, that the tragedy is that all too often life gets in the way of our vows and breaks them. But even if not, even if you have that fairy tale marriage, live happily ever after, even if life doesn't get in the way, marriage in a fallen world means eventually death gets in the way. And death breaks those vows till death do us part. But not even death can break this vow. He has pledged to you. He has taken your hand and said, Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, he says to you, in sickness and in health, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate you from my love. That's the vow Jesus makes to you. And, you know, when, when we make vows, you know, we, you know, if you take an oath, you maybe like swear on the Bible as a symbol of authority or in the wedding, you have the, the ring as kind of a, a symbol of this vow. Well, God, I, I love how Hebrews 6 encapsulates this and just puts a foundation under this. God has no higher authority to swear by. 
like, he's like, how, how, can I, how can I make this clear to you? I don't have a ring. I'm not putting my hand on the Bible. Jesus is like, how can I make this clear to you that this is my love for you? And Hebrews says, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. See, God doesn't put his hand on the Bible. He puts his hand on his heart and says, I myself, I pledge myself to this. And so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of his promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He has vowed to you, child of God, beloved of Jesus. And you are today as secure in Christ as God is secure in himself. When it says that he has has sworn by himself, what that means is that you are as secure in that promise as the very indivisible bands of the Trinity itself. And so if the triune Godhead could come apart, if the bonds holding Father, Son, and Spirit could dissolve, then his love for you could be dissolved. But he has sworn by himself. He has pledged all of the resources of his triune omnipotence to this covenant marriage vow. I will never leave you. I will never turn my back on you. Nothing will pry you out of my hands. I am yours and you are mine forever. This is his love for you. Oh, that we would feel and know and drink and taste and see this love. Look what kind of love the Father has given to us. See the love of Jesus for his bride. If I could have the the worship team come forward. Um, As the worship team comes, as, as we close Maybe two two points of application here. Maybe to no three. I'm gonna make it three points of application to kind of to hang our hang our hats on. Is one is this. Know this love. Know this love. Whether you have been a Christian following Jesus for fifty years or whether you are here and you have never put your faith in know this love. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Know this love. Jesus loves me, this I know. And oh Lord, may it move from our heads to our hearts. Second, second application. This may be a little out of left field, but I, the thought strikes me here that this might be a good thing for some of us to reflect on, for me to reflect on. Love what Jesus loves. He says in Ephesians 3, he says, pray for you together with all the Lord's holy people. Look, look around. Look around at this, this crowd and, and, and remember 
you know, the other half of the church that's out in the tent or that's, that's home on the live stream love the church because Jesus loves the church. It's really easy to hate on, to hate on the church because, like, let, let's be honest, we're the worst, right? Christians are hypocrites. Christians let you down. The church is a mess, and church hurt is some of the worst kind of hurt. The, the bride is a mess. But she is the bride. And she is beautiful because the groom loves her. So if you're frustrated with Christians, don't give up on the church. Because the groom doesn't. He'll never give up on these people around you. And he will never give up on you. They and you are cherished. They and you are held in an everlasting embrace. And so let's love the ones God loves. Let's forgive the ones God forgives. Let's bear with the ones that God bears with. Embrace the ones that God embraces. Stick it out with the ones who are held by everlasting love. We're in this together, in this great love together. And then the, 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 third, the third application, I said that second one is kind of out of left field, but here's where I want us to, to land. Let's rest in this love. So many of us are so worn out. We are weary. We are dry. And Jesus says, come to me. I'm... I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. I will give you rest because I love you like this. So Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, we are, right? But he is strong. So let's stand Lord, you have loved us with an everlasting love. What can we say in response to these things? That we, that I, I, a wretch, am now your treasure. That you have loved me with your whole heart. And I'm held in your embrace. Lord, what can we say to these things? but to praise you and thank you. And so, Lord, let these truths soak into our hearts, even now as we sing, and help us to see just what kind of love you, Father, have lavished on us. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our groom. Amen.